0: It's 2020. I feel at this point, we've all had enough time to process Blizzard's Big Diablo 4 announcement. We have some bits to digest while we wait a while for a not quote-unquote soon launch and some speculation of when not soon may actually be. Hi, I'm Remy Ransom, and let me navigate you through what we know so far. Turn right for incoming podcast in 24 seconds. Roger, 02. everybody welcome to orbit it's a new year and with a new year there's a lot to take in from the previous year's events and this is where i kind of sit and try and figure myself out as a person mentally but gaming wise i like a lot of people who spend their off time playing video games have a lot to look forward to every year when blizzcon happens it's the year of our robot overlords 2019 finally making good on an announcement so that was kind of happy but it usually marks a year passing of blizzard sitting on the announcements that sometimes can be real exciting unless they ask the question, what don't you have a phone? Which is still a pretty good meme, but it's the question that keeps on giving to responses to game developers and other games as well here in orbit. We were worried Diablo news this year was going to be more on a mortal when it happened in 2019, that mobile game that's just apparently rich on lore That no longtime Blizzard fan asked for, but it got announced anyway. Uh, It's kind of like a a spiritual successor to your favorite childhood sitcom, except nobody really cares about it. But that, that was infamous in 2018, and thankfully in 2019, that didn't happen. Blizzard gave us what we were all hoping for, a proper Diablo sequel, with one of their fantastic cinematic trailers that they do with every game. They have been doing this for years, since Warcraft, and it just... Uh, It never gets old, but the cinematic trailer, by three they come, it it gave us more of a darker Diablo palette, kind of like Diablo 2, Sans Act 2, which was, you know, everybody hates Act 2 in Diablo games. It it doesn't matter who you are, you you hate Act 2. But it's bringing back Lilith, daughter of Mephesto, queen of the succubi, mother of misery, and the mistress of betrayal, amongst other probably titles that she's been given throughout the years but we we got our first glimpse of her originally in Diablo 2's pandemonium event where she was just an Andarial on steroids and essentially that's what she is she's Andarial's mom but but Diablo 3 Reaper of Souls gave us a real story as to kind of what had become of her and where she came from and for those of you unfamiliar with the lore of sanctuary the world that we play in was created by angels and demons who were like no we're kind of tired of all this fighting so let's not do that but so anyway they they created this world called sanctuary uh which kind of has two big main figures responsible for it one of them was lilith and you've seen her in the diablo 4 cinematic trailer looking all badass and wearing a Cape of Skin, but anyway, uh, the other one was inarius and he was an archangel. Which, if you've played Diablo three, you got to see the Angira's Council and some of their members. And you know, Imperius is a jerk, and you've met him. Uh, you know that you know the angels at this point. But uh, these two, uh, inarius and Lilith, would later on make creating the Nephilim and subsequently their descendants that we know from Diablo three. Uh, these later on Nephilim, now like every mama and dada, sometimes they fight and well in this case they turned on each other completely uh and in the impending angelic demonic divorce uh kind of created their own warring factions against one another so here's kind of what happened and lore wise uh Lilith wanted the Nephilim to have more power Inarius wanted to kill them all because they were becoming too powerful and Lilith wanted to create an army And ends up getting banished while Anarius kind of gets turned on by everyone around him and given to Mephisto as a gift and thrown in a weird cage. And I'm not sure if they're going to stick with the lore where his flesh is deformed and his eyelids are ripped off. And it's pretty gruesome. But he's essentially trapped in a room of mirrors where he has to look at his now uh, not great visage. Um, So that's not a way I'd want to go. But I guess you're caught up on the story now, I suppose. uh But it's not a happy one, as you can imagine in Diablo. But it's something. It's definitely interesting. But now that we're all on that same page story wise, let's get into what we know so far about the story background for the big Numero Quattro. It's set after Diablo Three: Reaper of Souls, and the Angel of Death, Malthiel, kind of did some bad stuff and. Well, the gates of heavens are now shut. Lilith, the daughter of Mephesto, is returned to Sanctuary by the dark ritual that you saw in the 3x3 trailer, or the By Three They Come trailer, and her return ushers in an age of darkness and misery, and I don't really know what that's going to mean so far story-wise, but uh, I imagine they'll go quite in-depth into it uh, through different logs and lore that you'll be able to find in the game but after the destruction of the black soulstone uh, the defeat of the prime evil and the fall of malthiel countless lives have been lost and <sighs> people in the world of sanctuary find themselves struggling through the darkest of ages and years have passed and as some semblance of regular life starts rebuilding a threat as old as the land itself begins to stir Diablo 4 takes place many years after the events of Diablo 3, after millions have been slaughtered by the actions of the high heavens and the burning hells alike. Basically, the eternal struggle is just going into full swing here. And in in this power vacuum, Lilith resurfaces and her grip on sanctuary starts cutting deep into the hearts of men and women alike, cultivating the worst in its denizens and leaving the world a dark and hopeless place. Now, we got a little bit from senior game producer Tiffany Watt, who said that when we talk about the world of Sanctuary and the tone we're going for, it's going towards the story, that feeling of dread, isolation, desolation, it's not a great place to be. So we want to make sure we maintain that feeling as you're adventuring, because that's just the core story that we want to tell here. And like most Diablo games, uh, we here in Orbit are assuming we'll be seeing a lot of key figures throughout the series return to get reacquainted with, especially now that the House of Cain kind of has ended in Diablo 3 with, uh, you know, Deckard dying and his well his adoptive niece turning out to be the reincarnation of Diablo and all that stuff there there's not really a a figurehead that we have to kind of lead us through the lore of the game and it's likely that Tyrael now that he's human uh, is going to become our new sort of Herodrim expert and he's mortal and you know he's still on the Angier's council as the aspect of wisdom but he's kind of also been spending his time in Sanctuary rebuilding the Herodric Mages. Uh, we got to meet one of them who talks to Tyrael a lot, where Tyrael asks questions like, uh, I've, I'm so very hungry, but I've eaten all my food today. Wait, did you eat it all at once? There's a bunch of kind of back and forth between those two jokers, and it's whatever, but... The Herodric Mages are very important to the story because they're the ones that are telling us the history of Sanctuary in many aspects. A lot of the lore books you pick up are from Herodric Mages or Deckard Cain's Lost Tomes himself, but they're also kind of in the background. Sort of saving the day in certain parts. Cain basically sacrificed himself to rebuild Tyrael's sword. So just to give you an idea of what the Herodric Mages are, they're just in the background trying to keep the peace and writing the story of what's going on in Sanctuary, which is a, a very interesting uh, thing for us as the player to identify with because they're as human as we are in retrospect, unless you're Zoltan Cool, who's just a jerk. But, you know, with all this lore, there's a lot to work with here throughout the games. But uh, lore nerds like myself are looking forward to seeing what Diablo 4 will bring us in story as Blizzard doesn't kind of tend to skimp on that juicy lore bits. Now, granted, the overall story of Diablo 3 was whatever it 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 was good. It just, you know, it wasn't fantastic and we're kind of hoping for that with Diablo 4 but we're also sort of given a glimpse here of the hero class lineup uh, in this game and they're a little familiar and if you've played Diablo 2 you're probably just as excited as we are Uh, you're getting your barbarian who you've seen in Diablo 2 and Diablo 3 you're getting a druid Diablo 2 and you're getting a sorceress who that's what she was called in Diablo 2 so we're kind of going back to diablo 2 a little bit but uh, the barbarians as you know they're unparalleled strength and just complete melee combat monsters and they're utilizing a new and more powerful system in battle now called arsenal and this is kind of interesting because it's arming them with the ability to carry and rapidly switch between four different weapons at a time by assigning them to individual attacks so it's kind of like omni blade from final fantasy except it's four weapons instead of eight so it's it's four four knee blade but uh the druids if you remember them from diablo 2 they did a lot of shape shifting and we've gotten to see a a lot of uh kind of what the shape shifting looks like from uh the gameplay trailers that we saw at blizzcon and it looks pretty smooth so uh, i played a druid pretty much most of the time in Diablo 2. I think I had an Amazon that I played on the side, uh, but I love druids. Uh, The Sorceress, like I said, it's going back to the Diablo 2 roots and is shaping the elements to obliterate their foes. Uh, Good news, if you're a Hydra player, Hydras are back, baby. They're still there in the skill tree that I've seen on the early ones. And speaking of skill trees uh we are going back to the more diablo 2 styled system and that's only from what i can gather it's a little early to go on a limb and say that but i have a feeling a lot of the changes that weren't well received in diablo 3 to make the game more approachable uh, for players outside of the game they're gonna be changed and it could be for the better this time around i'm not sure I was a big fan of the systems in Diablo 3 because it was a more simplified version and there was a much easier access to it. Like I could play with my then six-year-old son on the Xbox and he understood what was going on and what the skills were. So it wasn't really explaining a tree, but... Eurogamer was one of the sites that reported a new skill system for Diablo originally and like previous iterations you spend points on skills to improve them and they acquire additional effects at higher levels. Diablo 3's skill rune system is going to be completely gone uh, there are talent trees like we mentioned but each class has dozens of options to choose from and further cu- to further customize their builds. On top of that uh, there's the new rune word socketing system for equipment and presumably weapons. We're not 100% sure on that but there are all the legendary item effects that you've come to expect from the series i haven't seen anything about sets but looks like there's a lot of customization so far and the talent tree will probably make you choose your skills more wisely Uh, we're unsure but we assume you'll be able to reset your skill tree to create better builds for whatever blizzard deems their end game content Uh, You've seen this in other Blizzard games and are probably used to it at this point, but it sort of seemed like a good footnote. Um, Some of the concepts for the trees on various sites you can find, but uh, Wowhead has a pretty nice breakdown if you want to check it out. Now, I think the major thing we need to get into here is Diablo's always had a history of sort of being linear. Even from the first game, you just descended a bunch of floors and then kept going down and down, kind of like the Ring of Fire, except... uh, I guess the Ring of Hell, I don't really know how to describe that. The Ring of Cathedrals, how about that? But uh, Diablo 2 was more act-based. Diablo 3, also act-based. It was a lot of acts at that point. Uh, Once again, act 2, worst of all, every game. Doesn't matter, worst of all. This one, they're kind of approaching differently. It's going to be more open world. Now, you're probably wondering... Why would you go down that route? And a lot of other games have had a lot of successes with open worlds. Uh, Gears of War five more recently, uh, destiny, destiny Two, the division uh, games like that, uh, major loot games uh, outside of gears. But, you know, you aren't always seen by other players, though. So you're getting individual loot. You're in your own privatized instance, but it's sort of a a shared world. And once again, Diablo 4 senior game producer Tiffany Watt told Eurogamer, your dungeon experience will be the same as it's been in the past. A privatized instance just for you. And if you choose to invite some friends or people you meet in social hubs, you can do that but you determine how you experience that. When we talk about the world of sanctuary and the tone we're going for, that feeling of dread, isolation and desolation, it's not just a great it's not a great place to be. So we want to make sure that we maintain that feeling as you're adventuring because that's just core to the story we want to tell. But if you come upon an event that's more difficult say like a shava the world boss that is a situation where our engine allows us to seamlessly bring other players in whether you choose to group up with them or if you go solo there will still be other people that have chosen to go fight that boss so wow that that's really something different especially from diablo We, we we've never seen that before normally it's just hey me and my four friends are going to go kill endless hordes of demons now There's social hubs, so essentially uh, an area like New Tristram or New New Tristram or even Newest Tristram, whatever they're calling this, you can meet other players and say, hey, why don't we hang out instead of just using global chat, Uh, which global chat is pretty toxic in most Blizzard games. Anyway, stay away from it. It's not safe there, Simba. Uh, But there's going to be five unique regions, which I'm going to attribute to Axe. A day and night cycle, which is really cool because sometimes you go into a tile and it's dark. Sometimes it's light. This will actually have a day and night cycle. So as you're fighting through whatever you happen to be fighting through, it could go dark real quick and that could get real scary. Uh, There's also going to be weather, which I don't know why they're talking about weather, because there's different weather and tiles and there's rain and such uh, to a sort of extent. So I'm assuming that they're going to be making this a little more richer. Ultimately, from everything we've read here in Orbit, it kind of seems like we're going through a non-linear sort of player's choice Diablo, a scarier, more darker tone Diablo back to sort of the original story beats going through a dungeon and being scared again, maybe unless you play hardcore mode where your life is constantly in peril and a poison Nova could kill you at any second. But... This is very interesting for Diablo players, especially over a long time, because we've never had a shared world experience like this, and world bosses are a completely new thing. Like, you know, there's normally just act bosses like uh, the Skeleton King or, you know, Arane, the Queen of Spiders. It looks like all in all, Diablo 4 is rolling out to be something really interesting that we're all going to hopefully waste countless hours in. As more news uh, starts to arise, we'll be sure to keep you updated on it, but... For now, this has been Gamer Loop. Thanks for hanging out in Orbit. Roger, zero, eight, eight.